0: not an aberration or anomaly. I'll say that again. Lent is the natural time of the Christian. Now, this needs to be unpacked a little bit. You could say it like an insult, like, come on, Lent is the normal time of the Christian. What about you? You could say it like it's something that you're supposed to get to, and if you're not there, you're a failure. So I could heap that upon you now because I doubt that most of us here are thinking, yes, that's the natural time for a Christian. That's how Christians should be all the time. Many of us are approaching it with, with some uh, apprehensiveness, let's say. So rather what Elder Emilianos is saying is something that is full of hope and desire. Knowing that I'm not there yet, but striving. This is the way that he says it. Now my confession is that I've spent many years of my life in orthodoxy with that apprehension, even with dread for Great Lent. Seeing the markers come along, knowing that I'm going to have to give up all of these things, and that it's going to be hard. And it's been very centered around food for me. Maybe not for the rest of you, but for me at least. And so I'm thinking everything about Lent is about food and about how I have to give up these things. And then as Lent progresses, my joy of the resurrection is very much a joy of being able to eat meat again, have dairy again. So this is how I've focused on, with Lent for many years. And I can't say that I'm out of that. That's my default. I still have that in me. But then there are these words of Elder Emilianos. Lent is the natural time of the Christian. You see, we have many wrong ways of approaching Lent and fasting. There's the legalism. That's one way sort of the obligation, the dutiful servant, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do because God told me to do this thing, and so I'm going to do it because I know it's right. Like I mentioned recently in in one of my writings about eating your vegetables at the dinner table. This is how we approach Lent. Something that we have to do. Another way of approaching Lent is holding our breath. I I just got to get through it. Okay, ready? Here it goes long as I can and get through and then Pascha comes. Okay, now I can get back to life, back to the things that I really want. Another way of approaching Lent is that it's my accomplishment. This is where I think, okay, I'm gonna do these things, maybe I'll make my own rules and here's what I'm gonna do and I'm going to accomplish it and maybe even during Lent I might feel that sense of accomplishment and that's what propels me forward and through Great Lent is accomplishing this thing that I know to be good. Or another, my personal favorite, is the idea of Lent as a boot camp. This is where we go because we need to get back into shape. So we need to have Lent, and that puts us back into shape. Have not we heard all of these things many different times? Is one of these the way in which you approach it, or maybe a combination of them? And then there's those words of Elvar Emilianos: Lent is the natural time of the Christian. Because all of those wrong ways of approaching Lent, they all have that sense that God wants or expects me to do this. God wants me to do these things. He expects this of me. And if I don't, then I'm doing something wrong. Father Maximus said in his retreat, he said, unless I commit myself to Lent, to love Lent, it won't work. Again, that can sound kind of harsh, meaning if you don't love Lent, then you're a failure again. You're doing something wrong. We have to understand this in the right way, which is this is our aim. We're not there. I'm not there. I'm sure many of you feel that you're not there in loving Lent or thinking that Lent is the natural time for a Christian but it gives us a lens through which we can begin to look at it. If I don't love Lent, what what is that path forward towards that? How can fasting become natural to me? These are big questions, but this is the way that we should be looking at these things rather than here are the rules I need to follow and I have to do it because it's what I'm supposed to do because it won't get us very far. We can keep on shoving it down our throat year after year after year, and maybe even a bigger sense of dread will come. Oh, here it comes again. Why? Because we have everything flipped upside down, such that the time of our eating of meat and dairy, that's our freedom, and the time of Lent is our slavery, and it's all backwards. Backwards. So we need to begin to see Lent as something to love. Not that that's something that you put on and you just have to hold on to that, but to say, how can I begin to approach this in a profoundly different way? So if I say that I love Lent, what does that mean? What that means is that I am desiring to pursue God himself, and that God in his love has given me Lent as a time when especially I can strive towards Him. You see, everything must be through the lens of Christ and of communion with Christ. Fasting, we have to understand that as this is the way in which I can begin to have more communion with Christ instead of having communion with a steak, communion with coffee and my cream in my coffee, communion with whatever else that I have that goes in my mouth and out again. And this brings us to Forgiveness Sunday. At Vespers tonight, in the hymns, it says, let us cheerfully begin the season of the fast. Cheerfully? And again, in the Clean Monday services, in the the Orthros, it says, let us joyfully begin the all-hallowed season of abstinence and let us shine with the brightness of love, the splendor of prayer, with the purity of holiness and the strength of good courage. Why joy? Because this is the path towards all good things. This is the path towards all good things. If we understand Lent in the right way, we see that all of it is a stripping away of the things that are keeping us from God. And who is God? Love, goodness, joy, peace, beauty, everything. That's what God is. So if I want those things that I just enumerated, this is the path. So this is a path of joy. Why? Because we are moving towards joy himself, towards the embodiment of joy, towards the source of joy. Everything that is joy in the world, that is right joy, is from God. Not the passing joy of, oh, my my stomach feels really good. But even that, God gave us our taste buds. So everything comes from God. Everything joyful. Everything that is beautiful, everything that is peaceful, is from God. We need this right perspective because what we're about to embark upon is not easy. It's not easy at all, and this is why we dread it. This is why... So much of our time before Lent is thinking about Lent, and so much of our time in Lent is thinking about the things of Lent. So we need to have the right perspective as we're going forward. Otherwise, we so easily go into these wrong ways of looking at it. As it says, as we enter this all-hallowed season of Lent, we begin this theme with forgiveness. Forgiveness is what we celebrate today, Forgiveness is what we enter into tonight. At the Vespers tonight, which is a service as is the common practice, we have a Vespers service of forgiveness. And then at the end of Vespers, we each go to every other person at the service and ask for their forgiveness. It's a profound and moving action because we go up to people that maybe we don't even know their name and say, forgive me. It causes us to ponder, why am I asking forgiveness of someone who I barely even know? Because it begins to reveal to us this web of sin that exists between us. My hurtful actions have profound impacts, like a ripple effect. There's a web of all the ways in which my my cruelty, my unkindness, my shortness, my impatience, my anger has had a ripple effect in ways that I don't even know. And so truly, I can go to any other person and say, forgive me, and it won't be wrong. It'll be right. So this is what we begin the season of Lent with. We learn that forgiveness, forgiveness is our path towards freedom. Because when we forgive, when we forgive, And when we ask for forgiveness, but especially when we forgive, what are we doing? Letting go. Letting go. Now don't get me wrong, this is extremely hard. Many of us say to ourselves, oh, I've forgiven that person. I've forgiven so-and-so, even of our loved ones. I've forgiven my wife. I've forgiven my children. But we haven't. Because what happens, a little situation comes along and boom, it's right up at the surface again. Oh, how that person always does this thing and look, they did it again. It's always a reminder to us, I haven't fully forgiven. Forgiveness is a journey that I embark upon. But that journey is a journey towards freedom. Because I'm no longer bound by my own resentments or anger or... Frustration, or whatever it is, towards that other person, I'm no longer enslaved to that. I'm free. A life in which in which forgiveness abounds is a life in which we have freedom to truly love people, to not be bound by the ways in which we hate them. And we get that image from the Lord's Prayer. That idea of forgiving that is a transformation. You might not see that when you first look at the Lord's Prayer, but you think about the Lord's Prayer. What does it say? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're asking God, as I've said before, to forgive us just in the way that that we forgive others. Because, you see, forgiveness is not about an action. Forgiveness, we talked last week about ontological about a change of who I am. Forgiveness changes who I am. And you see, that what the Lord's Prayer is saying to us is it's saying, you may enter into the kingdom of heaven inasmuch as you are like God. Inasmuch as you are like God. Who is God? God is the one who forgives it all. Everyone for everything. That's what God is. And so inasmuch as we can forgive everyone for everything we can enter into the kingdom of God. And in as much as we can't, we prefer to hold on to our slavery. We prefer that bitter poison of holding on to wrongs, remembrances, that the things that this person did to me and that to me. And that makes us into a smaller and more crippled person. Forgiveness is freedom. It's the freedom to not be affected by others. In the Lord's Prayer, it also says, forgive us our trespasses. And that's an old English word that always feels kind of awkward, like trespassing, going on someone's property, right? I've trespassed onto their property, so now... Or they've trespassed onto my property, and now I have to give them forgiveness. But it's a good image, because that transformation of who I am as a person... It starts out that everyone is trespassing onto my property. Everyone is offending my ego or wounding me. And all those people, I have to try and ask for, try and give forgiveness, but it's hard. But as I become more sanctified, as we move closer to God, what happens? Our property becomes smaller, we have less ego. We have less ways of being offended by others. And it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And so what happens? We're no longer offended by people. We're no longer hurt by them. They can do the same things, but it doesn't have the same effect. Isn't this a profound freedom that we can have? And this freedom is something that is given to us by God when we seek it from Him. Because that's truly who God is. And this is where, again, I might go in a different direction from what other Christians out there say. But this is the teaching of the church. God is not offended. We use that language to help us kind of understand what it feels like when we sin and we turn away from God. But God is not one who has any, like that image that I gave, any property that somehow it can be trespassed upon. God is bigger and above all of that. And it doesn't mean that he looks down on us in condescension, rather, he can bear it. Look at Christ himself, look at what he bore as a human being. God can bear it, can we? That's the question. Can we bear it? Can we bear when other people offend us or hurt us or cause problems to us? And these may be very deep. I don't mean to say that this is shallow. I don't mean to say that the ways in which we have been deeply and profoundly hurt by the people in our lives are not very real. They are. And this is precisely why the journey into into forgiveness is a long journey, and not one where we can just simply say, oh, I've forgiven them, I forgave them, you know, forget about it, it's no big deal, and really deep inside of me, I feel it feel it and I want to hold on to it because it's my little dark treasure. Father Maximus in the retreat yesterday also talked about what forgiveness means in Greek. The word and it comes from two words. One word is which is a place. It's also the word that's used for nations, for countries. It's a physical place and then it has the preposition in front of it and together that Forms into one word that means making space, making a place for everyone. It's a beautiful little image of what the the Greek word means or where it comes from. That we're making space in our heart for everyone. where Our love is broad, broad enough for everyone. And that really points at what I mentioned before about the ontological aspect. I am becoming a different person through the act of forgiveness. Through perpetual forgiveness of people around me and the deep forgiveness of those who have deeply wounded me, I become a different person. It's not just that I do an action, my actions change, but who I am actually changes. We see this beautifully in Saint Yaakovos of Evia, who is a recent saint. He was the one who would always say, Mesichorite, which means forgive me. He would say that to people, forgive me. People who would come to see him, forgive me. And it might sound like, well, again, why is he saying this? He's a holy person. What has he done against that person? But he understands the nature of sin and he understands how his sin affects the people around him, even in ways that they don't understand. St. Jakobos was a very, very humble person indeed, and his forgiveness changed who he was. So this is the transformation that we desire to have in Lent, or we should desire to have in Lent. At the other end of the 50 days of fasting, we sing another well-known hymn of Pascha. This comes from the Orthros service. That hymn, it is the day of resurrection. I'll read the whole hymn. It is the day of resurrection. Let us shine brightly for the feast and embrace one another. Brethren, let us say, even to those who hate us, let us forgive everything in the resurrection. And thus let us cry aloud Christ is risen from the dead by death, trampling down upon death, and to those in the tombs, granting life. The hymn says all of those things at the beginning, and thus let us cry aloud. The Paschal hymn that we all know Christ is risen from the dead. Do you see there's a connection between those? Let us shine brightly and embrace one another. Let us forgive everything in the resurrection, saying, even to those who hate us, let us forgive everything. And thus, then we can truly sing the Apostle hymn. There's a flip side to that, which is we can't fully sing the Apostle hymn in truth until that is also true. That's what the hymn is saying. Until we can say, even to those who hate us, let's forgive everything in the resurrection. Easy said, hard to do. Very hard to do. But this is what the hymn is telling us. This is our journey towards Pascha right now. We're embarking on this journey, and the very crown of that journey is on Saturday night of Pascha and the resurrection. We've just started singing Christ had arisen, and then we get this hymn. <laughs> And we keep repeating this hymn all through the possible period about forgiving everyone, even those who hate us. This is difficult. Forgiving is difficult. And as I said, some of us have some very deep wounds from people around us, from loved ones, from our most close loved ones who have let us down or wronged us in very deep ways. So this is not an easy journey. This is the only journey towards freedom. It's the only journey towards healing. And it is irrespective of what the other person does to us. Whether they accept our forgiveness, whether we say it to them or don't say it to them, that's irrelevant, mostly irrelevant. What matters is the change within our heart. Am I willing to let go of this thing that I am holding on to and holding on to and holding on to? Am I willing to? So likewise for all of us, Lent is difficult because forgiveness is difficult and fasting is difficult. This is why we approach it in so many wrong ways. We stand here at the doorway of Lent and our knees grow weak. We don't feel we have the strength to be able to do this. Because it is. If we do Lent in the right way, it is a transformation that is difficult. So one more bit of consolation from Father Maximus' retreat yesterday. He told this story when he was a monk on Simonopetra on Mount Athos. This is the monastery that's up on the rock. It's called Simon's Rock. That's what Simonopetra means. So one of the, the monks described it as the world's first skyscraper. And this monastery is incredibly impressive. And to go inside of it, it has the church right in the very center at the top. So he's a monk there. And they pray, they begin the services at 3 or 4 a.m. every day, every year, now for about a thousand years. They begin around 3 or 4 a.m. And he wakes up one morning, and he's got a migraine. He said his back hurt, his stomach hurts. And he was one of the chanters, and he said, I can't chant today. And so he went and snuck in the side door of the church and found a little dark corner. It's dark, so you can find a little place to go. And he just found a place there to quietly pray. And the ecclesiarch, who is the, the one who's sort of in charge of making sure the service is all run in good order, after a few minutes comes over to him and says, we need you to chant. Come, come. He says, oh, I'm feeling horrible. Got a migraine, stomach ache, back ache. I can't chant. He said, No, we have no chanters, which is unusual. And so he was brought up to the chant stand. They have two chant stands. On the one side, there were a couple of monks who were singing loudly. On the other side, it was just him. And he was there, struggling, struggling to chant. And then came over to him Father Ioannikios, who was a very cheerful monk, very cheerful monk. He came over to him, an older monk, and he says, how's it going? He says, oh, my back hurts, my head hurts. I don't have the strength. I don't have the strength to do this. You know what that blessed monk said? He said, if I want to put it correctly, you'll find it on the way. You'll find it on the way. And Father Maximus went on to say that was one of the most blessed chanting experiences he had was that very service. So as we enter into Great Lent, or we could say even broadly, as you continue in your spiritual life, take courage. Take courage because the strength that you need may not be apparent to you, but you'll find it on the way. Just enter into the journey. And this journey will be a blessed journey of transformation. Why? Because God himself is the one that is pulling you along the journey. God himself is the one who wants to transform you. God himself is the one who wants to give you joy and peace and love and everything else. But you have to let go of those other things. You have to let go of your love for meat. It doesn't mean don't eat meat forever. Just give that love away it's going to die with you. Your lack of forgiveness will die with you. You can either bring it to your grave or you can get rid of it right now. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, you will find the strength along the way. Take courage. We enter into great Lent this evening and it is a blessed time. And may we have, no longer have a goal of where we're going to be but simply have an aim of where we want to be aiming towards. What I mean by that is when I say that quote, that Lent is the natural time of a Christian, make that your aim. Don't think you'll ever get there. You might, but just make that your aim. That I need to begin to understand Lent in a way that it becomes normative to my life. And if I don't get it, that's okay. I just want to strive towards that. to strive towards that. Make that my aim. We will be transformed in this way. It will no longer be simply a boot camp or holding our breath or dutifully doing what we're supposed to. It will become a transformation. Lastly, I can't help but say, can you believe what's happened since the last forgiveness vespers? Just a year. And everything that has occurred. The world turned upside down. Everything changed. Still in flux. Still changing. Things that were totally unrelated that also happened. All the riots. Totally unrelated to a virus. All the, we had a presidential campaign. All of these different things within one year. So we have much to ask forgiveness for. And much forgiving to do. Come to the service this evening if you can. But regardless of whether you come to the service or not, have the boldness to call up people, to reach out to them, to ask for their forgiveness. Because this is our path towards healing. We have many people that we need to forgive, people that we'll never be able to talk to. We can't call politicians on the phone. We still need to say, I forgive you. This is an important healing for us because this is our path towards peace. So on that note, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I ask you, because I have failed in many ways this past year, forgive me.